Sir Balper and the team of the Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance. This is weekly Monday appearance. The managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And what follows as he does each week, Dave Cameron endeavors to analyze all baseball. Of particular note this week, <clears throat> relating to a piece that Dave Cameron wrote earlier in the time, early, at an earlier time, uh, regarding the 162-game uh, workload. Uh, we uh, we discuss first, I asked Cameron about, Rob Manfred, Commissioner Rob Manfred's uh, current tour of every major league city and stadium. He's there to talk to players, to sit uh, for an inning or two at a time in various press boxes, and I suppose uh, to acquaint himself uh, with uh, with uh, everyone involved with the uh, with baseball, with, to get him to know baseball. So that's one thing he's doing. Uh, it, it's not it's not shocking that he's do this because and this leads to another uh, topic. Uh, the next CBA, it's about a year and a half away. Uh, I asked Cameron, what are the most notable issues? Uh, facing both the league and the players with regard to that CBA. There'll be certainly something regarding uh, profit sharing. It has skewed decidedly more in the owner's direction in recent years. How will the players union think about that? And how will a relatively new um, Players Association head, Tony Clark, a former first baseman Tony Clark, how will he contend with those issues? The show ends with a brief discussion of Mike Trout, who is really expected by both the uh, Steamer and Zips projections to outperform the next player on the, those same projections by like 50%. Uh, it is absurd at this point. This is, it's impossible to ignore. Uh, a couple notes, too. Uh, per, at the suggestion, I should say, of Mike Pesca of Hang Up and Listen, at his suggestion, we have acquired for Dave Cameron a new microphone and a pop filter. We'll see how it works. I'm not going to say it's infallible, but it, perhaps it's an improvement over what we've heard before. Uh, finally, anyone who listens to this uh, will be able to observe, to observe uh, with his or her ears, uh, Dave Cameron's uh, protests regarding the labor situation at uh, at Fangraphs itself. This is not ideal working condition. It is Fangraphs audio. It does feature managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. This is these are the first words that people are hearing of this week's program. We've just had we've had a uh, top secret conversation. Are you really not going to include you trying to teach me how to attach a P filter? Um, maybe I will do that. <laughs> maybe I'll do that. But yeah, you said uh, so. The, the listener should also know uh, you have your new equipment. That was at the suggestion of a gentleman from the uh, Hang. Up, I almost said shut up and listen. I believe it's Hang Up and Listen podcast at uh, Slate.com. Shut up and listen sounds like a really Terrible name for a podcast. <laughs> it's like super condescending. Hey, you, stop talking, shut up and listen to our podcast. It is actually true. That's like, but if you get, well, if you want to listen to a podcast uh, or really any sort of audio program of any sorts, uh, you can't talk during it. That's kind of one of the main, the main things. Yeah. But I think that if you want to attract listeners, you probably, probably the first two words of your title shouldn't be shut up. Shut up. <laughs> what about shut up and dance? I think people would be more receptive to that. Maybe. Not for a podcast, maybe. But yeah. uh, Let me ask you, I don't know why it reminds me of this, but you mentioned uh, during your piece on what the the game workload, 162-game workload. Yeah, last week I wrote about that. Yeah. Uh, Rob, uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred, he's this, this is one of your first sentences in the, um, the entire thing. He's taking, what is he, taking a tour of ballparks? 
he's going to meet with every team's players individually, and then he sticks around for the game and often does like a TV interview uh, or a local press interview uh, and says the same thing in almost every city. Which is well, but yeah, but to a new, I guess what a whole new, but, yeah, to a new audience, and yeah. you know, like to the to his credit, I think he's answering the questions that are being asked, and so, you know, he's not, it's not like he's reading from a list of talking points, but reporters tend to ask the same questions. Uh, but I think he does occasionally say new things when he gets asked good questions. Right. And so, I mean, at, a, at its most basic level, I could take some guesses, but like, what is the what is the function of this tour? Uh, I think it's probably to meet with all the players. I think he did some of this in spring training, too, but uh, it seems like, at least from, you know, an outsider's perspective, He's putting a pretty big emphasis on having, like, FaceTime, essentially, with uh, every single Major League player on a roster. And so he's meeting with them before games and saying, hey, look, you know, this is who I am and what I'm doing, and if you have any questions. Like, he's trying to foster goodwill with the players, uh, given that we're a year and a half away from probably a very big CBA fight. And what uh, what are the the sort of issues on that? Because I think the this, this last CBA, it seems like, uh, went pretty smoothly, although maybe there were some concessions from the players. But also maybe those concessions, it was more just about um, uh, taking rights away from, from draftees. I mean, that's been the issue of the last, like, 10 CBAs. So I just keep <laughs> trying to diminish the rights of people who aren't covered by the union. Um, but, right, I think the last three or four CBAs have gone relatively smoothly. Since the mid-90s and the big strike, uh, no one has uh, really been anxious to do that again. And with baseball making money hand over fist, everyone just kind of wants to keep the gravy train rolling. Uh, I don't, can you roll a gravy train? That sounds messy. I think you, you uh, might have mixed some metaphors. But yeah, people, that might have been like, yeah. Uh, they wanted to keep some kind of train rolling, uh, gravy or not. Uh, but this time I think the players have seen... Uh, that their share of the revenue is declining pretty fast, uh, especially if Major League Baseball ever decides to spin off uh, MLB Advanced Media, which there's been talks of this for years, but now that BAM is uh, in, the, in kind of the hosting streaming market where they're working with HBO and a bunch of other places to kind of be the logistical partner for these non-baseball entities, and they're getting paid handsomely to do that, uh, the, the entity of Major League Baseball is now making money from things that aren't baseball. And how you distribute that revenue is not as clear cut as it would be if it was just, you know, ticket sales to come see the players. And so I think, uh, you know, the players are going to say, hey, look, baseball is a $9 billion industry, and baseball is going to be like, yeah, but that isn't all baseball anymore, uh, and you, you don't deserve a cut of us helping HBO. So uh, I think there's going to be some tougher issues to work through with the next one in regards to how they split up the salaries. Yeah, uh, no, I don't know if it was Nathaniel Groh uh, who wrote about this necessarily. He does he does stuff like that. Um uh, you're talking about sort of, um, uh, you know, relationships between between the union and the league, uh, but there was some there was some conversation at the site recently regarding uh, the players ever diminishing cut of the overall revenue of baseball. Yeah, that was Nathaniel. That was Nathaniel. And and I, I mean, is it? Uh, I mean, are we at an unprecedented low at this point? Is it uh, maybe going back to levels that you might have seen before free agency or something like this? Yeah, I mean, right. So like before free agency players' share of revenues was uh, very small. So we're not at an unprecedented low, but certainly we're at a, a relative low to what we've kind of uh, seen since the, you know, some version of the free market in, you know, uh, forced player salaries up dramatically uh, since free agency began and, and kind of the current systems um, for paying players were put into place. So uh, I think the tricky thing and, and the thing the owners are going to argue is that 
uh, baseball has these kind of non-baseball revenues now that they've never had before, and uh, it's not 100% clear that those should count. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're in a, we're in a position where uh, players are getting paid less than uh, the 50-50 split that seems like most leagues tend to aim for. Uh, I think the NFL, NBA, uh, and NHL are somewhere in that range. I don't know exactly what the figures are. I think like, the NHL might be uh, 55-45 to the owners, and the NBA might be 55-45 to the players, but they're all generally in that range. And, then, you know, I think the player Major League Baseball was around the 50-50 split for a long time and is now closer to 60-40 owners, and I, th- I think the players are not going to want that to continue going forward. Right, yeah, and it looks like the the precise numbers from uh, from that piece by Nathaniel, um, it was from a post called MLB's Evolving Luxury Tax, and it was 56% of, of revenues for the players in 2002, and now it's uh, now it's only 38, and that's uh, that's just a little bit more than a decade, and that seems uh, that seems substantial to me. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no question that over the last 10 years, really, uh, we've seen the dramatic growth of television revenues for these clubs who are, you know, tripling or quadrupling their television rights deals, but are not tripling or quadrupling their payrolls. And so, uh, especially with the luxury tax kind of dampening the top end, uh, we've seen low revenue teams escalate their payrolls by a lot. You don't have teams running $20 million payrolls anymore. I think the lowest team this year is 50 or 60 million, uh, and most of the teams are over 80 or 90. Uh, so they, the bottom end of the tier has come up a lot, but now the luxury tax is really keeping everyone, or almost everyone besides the Dodgers and the Yankees, uh, below 190 million, which is, uh, you know, about the same, same area that those teams were 10 years ago. Is there any, uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, the last CBA was negotiated between, um, uh, Bud Selig, obviously more people than this, but Bud Selig was, of course, the commissioner, and I think that, uh, was it Michael Weiner? Yeah. Uh, and uh, of course, before his uh, unfortunate passing, uh, he was responsible and for, for the players' union. And I think that he was—he was—he seemed to be sort of uniquely beloved by both sides, both by the players um, for his sort of uh, tenacity and intelligence, but also uh, by the owners themselves, who seemed to think that he was pretty reasonable. Yeah, I mean, Weiner's had the respect of, of the both sides, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, I will note that I think Rob Manfred for the last two CBAs has actually been MLB's lead negotiator. Seelig was the commissioner, but Manfred was the guy uh, at the table working mm-hmm. with Michael Weiner, and they had a very good relationship, and Manfred's been very open about the fact that, uh, you know, while he's optimistic about Tony Clark and the, the Players Association's new leadership, it is going to be a little more difficult to negotiate just because he doesn't have the comfort level with those guys that he did with Weiner. Uh, but I think the fact that Manfred has been involved uh, as the leader of the last few negotiations, and the last few negotiations have gone pretty well, suggests that he might not be the uh, hardline, stick-it-to-the-players negotiator that, you know, perhaps we saw the the owners try and uh, run through 20 or 30 years ago. And is there any sense of of the health of the union currently and and its ability to... um uh, its ability to, you know, to, I guess its strength, um, with now under, under Tony Clark, who, I guess he's a, he's a different sort of leader because what, you know, between Donald Fear and, uh, Michael Weiner, uh, these were, these tended to be more, I think they were all trained as lawyers, um, and if not lawyers, they sort of had more, um, maybe academic or professional backgrounds within that, whereas Tony Clark is a, is a former ball player. Yeah, I mean, I think the next CBA negotiations are kind of the litmus test for how strong the Players Association is. And, you know, uh, to get back slightly to the thing that started this conversation, as you mentioned, the piece that I wrote about kind of the the b- workload of a 162-game season, 
there is starting to be a, a legitimate push from within the players to either shorten the season or mandate more days off, however that would work. Uh, but, you know, I think with, especially, as, you know, after I published the piece, Matt Carpenter missed the entire weekend uh, with what the St. Louis Cardinals uh, called extreme fatigue. He didn't even fly to Pittsburgh. So he wasn't on the roster, but he didn't even go attend the games. Uh, has now missed, I think, four or five straight games, uh, basically just because he's tired. <laughs> At least that's the official story. It could turn out, that, you know, perhaps he has some illness that they're hiding or uh, it might turn into something else. But, I mean, the, the public story at the moment is that he just needed a break. He just had played too much and worked too hard, and he needed some time away from the field. And, you know, I think one of the interesting things is if you look at Major League Baseball uh, and that kind of the, the schedule that's set up is 162 games in 183 days, means you get 21 days off throughout the season over the course of six months. So you get three and a half days off every month. And then some of them are clustered in the middle where you get like four days off for the all-star break. So in non-July months, you might go 28 or 29 days with like one day off. And that's rough. And I think, you know, for these guys, you know, certainly they're traveling in, uh, you know, luxury jets. And it's not like they're taking greyhounds from city to city. But this is still a tremendous workload, especially when they're, uh, flying from one city to the next and playing the same day or playing the next day. Uh, you know, if you play a late game, if there's a rain delay, which we've seen a lot of these in April where you have games ending at, like, you know, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, and then the team has to fly to a new city, gets in, you know, like 7 or 8 a.m. and has a game that night. Like, this is not ideal working conditions, and I think if if the Players Association is, uh, is going to show some strength, this might be one area where they push back and say, hey, look, you know, revenues are important. Uh, we can talk about a lot of these other issues related to amateurs and signing bonuses, but we just need uh, either more of a break or more of a disabled list for, like, sh- short-term rests. We need some way to function so that we're not asking these guys to work as hard. And I, w- I would imagine that uh, the ethic within within the, the league, within the game, um, would would make it difficult for players to complain about, about it. Does that, does that seem right? I mean, so certainly there's a uh, culture in which it is uh, well known that, you know, just asking out of the game is not okay. Uh, it is not uh, seen as a respectable thing to do to go to your manager and be like, I need a day off today. Uh, we see pitchers all the time talking about pitching through pain and, uh, you know, manning up and just doing what the team needs. And, you know, I think Jose Fernandez threw for an inning after his elbow exploded because he just thought the team needed innings that day. Uh, so the baseball culture is not set up for uh, it to be uh, acceptable to, for players just to be like, you know what, I'm tired. Because <laughs> I mean, if you're making $100,000 a day or $50,000 a day, whatever these guys are making, uh, you know, that's a very well compensated day off, right? And <laughs> like, uh, a lot of these teams have very small, uh, windows or, or edges over their competitors. If they say, you know, if I give you today off and we lose the game and we end up losing the season by, you know, we missed the wild card burst by one day, I might get fired. So you're just gonna have to suck it up and, you know, take a little, uh, more caffeine or, you know, uh, find some other way to find energy and, and I think, uh, you know, especially as baseball tries to crack down on uh, performance-enhancing drugs, and, you know, I think we know that Green Eats had a very long history in the game as a as a way to stay awake and, and keep people energized. If we're cutting down on those and we're removing kind of these artificial stimulants, uh, maybe the reality is that the, the natural body is not meant to play this often in this short of a timeline without some kind of help. Yeah, I've, I was thinking, because you mentioned Matt Carpenter, what is uh, and and the post that you write is a um, is a sort of consideration of maybe having what it, it would be a 25 man active roster, but there would be there would be room for five um, inactive players who are still technically like on the major league roster. 
Yeah. That's it. And it, this was just this was more of a thought experiment than a than like a uh, a cohesive proposal. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, essentially, uh, the carpenter thing hadn't come out when I wrote the post, but this is kind of um, exactly the, the kind of situation I was talking about. Is say the St. Louis Cardinals just identified that Matt Carpenter needed a break, but they're incentivized to not really want to give him one because if they have to play a man down in Pittsburgh the whole weekend against you know maybe their closest division rival uh, where they couldn't you know there's no two-day or one-day or three-day disabled list where they can just, you know, stash him and say, okay, he's going to get a break. We're going to call this, you know, extra infielder up from AAA. Uh, so from them, they, they had to take a serious hit to their roster and say, we're going to play with the 24-man team in Pittsburgh just because our guy needs a day off or three days off that badly. Um, it might be in the, the league's best interest and the player's best interest to say, let's just basically create a, a traveling taxi squad. Uh, where, you know, teams can travel 30 guys to every ballpark, 28 guys, whatever the number you want to be. And then before every game, they have to declare the 25 active guys who will play that day. And obviously you put some limits in so the teams can't just make this an 11-man bullpen. You don't want them just swapping out guys who threw 40 pitches the night before uh, and, you know, have a have a larger uh, platoon uh, caddy bullpen. But you can essentially put some limits into where, you know, X amount have to be pitchers and X amount have to be position players. And some players can't be active for more than, you know, the proposal I threw out was six days and you know, six games in a seven day span. So essentially you're mandating one day off every week. So, you know, even for your star players, you're essentially forcing teams to pick and choose and say, you can play this guy 95% of the time, but you can't play him 100% of the time. Uh, and you know, I think that that would potentially be one way to take some of the competitive imbalance out of this, where if you knew, hey, look, I'm not going to lose something from resting my star player, Andrew McCutcheon, for instance, in Pittsburgh, is playing injured. Everyone knows he's playing injured. But he's playing injured because the Pirates can't really afford to uh, put themselves at a disadvantage against the Cardinals, and the Cardinals aren't benching their best players. Uh, but if there was some kind of way where the Pirates knew, hey, we can give McCutcheon a day off every week, all season long, and everyone else is going to have to do that too, that's probably uh, not a bad thing. Right, That's and that's the thing. Everyone else has to do that too. Yeah. That's the that's the sort of important part. The um, you know I think a, a, a case from basketball comes to mind where uh, it's, it's related. I know that uh, Greg Popovich, the the coach of the San Antonio Spurs, has occasionally um, drawn the ire of the league because he will he will rest his three best players or best slash oldest players, uh, Tony Parker. Um, um, uh, Tim Duncan and uh, the Argentine manager Manu Ginobili. Ginobili. Manu Ginobili, yeah. right? Yeah. He'll rest them. Like he won't even like like I think there was a game against uh, at one point there was a high profile game against Miami, and he didn't even bring them. Yeah. And I think he got fined at that point. But here is here that's an example. It's a different sport, obviously. Um, um, different type of schedule. There are days in uh, days off built into their schedule. But he he took it upon himself because he thought it was. And it was in the best interest of the, the team in the long run uh, to give those players a day off. But it, I, I wondered, have you seen have you seen major league managers experimenting with that, or or do you, or inclined to do that, or do you think that maybe because of the way the regular and playoff seasons are constructed, it's uh, it, there's less incentive to do that. So I think that we haven't really seen baseball pushing this direction yet, but we're about to. So I think I mentioned in the post. Um, I talked to the company, or David Appleman and I talked to the company that was one of the sponsors of, of the Sloan Sports Conference, or one of the people that had a booth, essentially, at the Sloan Sports Conference, called Kitman Labs. And essentially their product was they had modified an iPad with a, a kind of a 
uh, tracker so that you can set up a camera and you could just walk in front of the iPad and do some range of motion exercises, uh, and it would measure kind of the kinetic uh, function of your body that day and say, okay, yesterday your range of motion was this, today your range of motion is that, and it would kind of capture uh, very quickly, you know, what potential fatigue markers where you say, like, you know, yesterday this guy could jump this high and he could stretch this far, and so maybe today he's playing at 80% of this, you know, uh, full potential or something along those lines. And Kitman Labs, uh, you know, has a, a public, you know, I think it was written on ESPN, they have a deal with the Dodgers. The Dodgers are implementing their technology. Uh, and the Dodgers also, maybe most interestingly, have the deepest bench in all, all of baseball and are using it uh, more often than almost any other bench. Now, part of that is because the Dodgers have a ton of money and they have some very expensive role players. Uh, but, you know, they could have traded Justin Turner. They could have traded Alex Guerrero. Uh, they didn't have to sign Hector Oliveira. I mean, you know, I think we've seen the Dodgers... Uh, creating log jams for themselves or keeping log jams in place with the, maybe other teams would have said, you know what, we just need a starter and a backup. We don't need three guys to play this position. But instead, they're kind of rotating through and, and having, uh, you know, a lot more depth and a lot more flexibility. And, uh, you know, when a, a, a guy maybe uh, is not at 100%, they're going to say, okay, you know, we think Juan Uribe is a better player than Justin Turner, but maybe not at 80% or 85%. And, you know, so I think in the future, especially in the next few years, we're going to see baseball heading more this direction and, and acknowledging that it might be better to go the NFL direction where we used to have one running back and a third down guy and the running back would get 30 carries a game and the third down guy would, you know, get three and then it's moved more to a hybrid system where it's 20 and 15 or, or 15 and 15 or something along those lines. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if baseball's future was getting away from the 150 game starter with a 12 game reserve and maybe having a 130 game starter with a 30 game reserve. Right. And, and, uh, but we've seen, I think one place we have seen this, right, where the acknowledgement that, that fatigue, um, can diminish performance in a, in a quantifiable way is with starting pitchers, right? Where you look at their numbers, the first and second and third and, and even fourth times through the order. By the end of it, uh, Justin Verlander, even at his peak, you know, but it's that fourth time through the order, is not he's he's definitely not better than than one of your the top relievers you have in your bullpen. Yeah, I think that's in-game fatigue, right? And I don't know that we'll ever get to a point where you're pinch hitting a reserve for Miguel Cabrera in the ninth inning because you think he's worn down throughout the game. But I do think maybe a better analogy would be starting catchers, right? So like even the best catchers in baseball catch 110 or 115 games a season, except for the Royals who want to wear Salvador <laughs> Perez's career into the ground before it ever gets off the, before it ever gets started. But besides Salvador Perez and Yadier Molina. Uh, every other catcher in baseball catches 110 to 120 games. And the, the backup plays at least once a week and usually every day game after a night game because it's just understood that the physical wear and tear of the position is too much to ask these guys to play more than that. I, I think if we can acknowledge that catching is that hard, that, that the appropriate level of starts is 110 games for a catcher, maybe 140 games is right for an outfielder, not 155. Yeah, I actually I saw, because I think Salvador Perez... Uh, got Saturday off, and I I believe I saw. Um, I love that that's news. Salvador <laughs> Perez got a day off. It's th- May. He got a day off. Let's let's acknowledge it. I think it was. Uh, I saw a tweet somewhere. I, I sorry I can't cite it. Um, to this effect, it, it was it was before the game, and the the message was, if Salvador Perez doesn't catch at all today, doesn't catch at all, it will be the first time he hasn't done that in a game since like last August. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's that is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, hmm. um, all right. Well, that's good. Yeah. And now, what is? How does this apply to um, baseball uh, web loggers? 
uh, in terms of uh, days off, time off, something like that? Uh, I think realistically, <laughs> uh, you are angling for more for more vacation time. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen your work because you came to my house and you you worked some while you were here, and your work process included like a four hour nap. So yeah, I, don't, I, I don't get think sleepy. You're overworked at this point. I get sleepy. Yeah. Well, well, you know, buck up. All right. Yeah. See, it's that ethic. It's that <laughs> right. ethic from baseball. I, I, I'm pulling in the the uh, rub some dirt on it and start writing. <laughs> yeah, rub, what am I rubbing dirt on at this point? <laughs> Probably your fingers. My fingers. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how many minutes we've been going. I'm really, really a little bit confused. Half an hour. Half an hour. Okay. Yeah. The um, let's uh, let me well let me just ask you then about um uh, a topic that has been well trod and yet. Keeps needing to be trod, and that is the Mike Trout and his excellence. He's um, still good. Again, someone brought this up. This is another thing uh, I'm stealing from social media platform Twitter. Uh, Twitter, uh, I, but it caused me to look at the updated projections <laughs> among batters, yeah. both by Steamer and Zips. <clears throat> um, so um, the this is for the update. This is essentially the player's uh, performance to date. Combined with uh, uh, his, you know, his rest of season projection, uh, Mike Trout nine uh, nine point one wins, nine point one wins uh, according to Steamer would be the the end of season total. Uh, second place, the second projection is uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Josh Donaldson tied at five point seven, <laughs> which is not that close. It's three and a half close. That's it's it's I mean more than yes the, the Goldschmidt and Donaldson would have to more than fifty percent improve. You or basically three and a half wins is like an all star, right? It's a it's right. a very good above average major league player who's gonna make twenty five million a year as a free agent. Yeah, right. So that's the gap between Trout and the next best guy. Right. And the zips zips it is almost a hundred percent greater, Mike Trout's uh Mike Trout's um uh, end of season projection at this point than the next guy. Uh Josh Donaldson second there as well by five point seven. Mike Trout per zips ten Point one wins, ten point one wins, which is a full win higher. So say even nine and a half, he's roughly projected for almost two of the next best player. Yeah, that, that, that does not sound familiar to me. That I mean, even when Barry Bonds was so very good, it does not sound familiar. So Bonds, I think, was a more valuable player uh, than Trout. But right, I think there were a preponderance of eight or nine win players at that point. Uh, the skew of the talent had kind of gone toward the top range, right? So this was the same time that Alex Rodriguez was being a monster while playing shortstop, and you had, you know, uh, a lot of – Randy Johnson was putting up 10-win seasons as a pitcher. You had, like, a cluster of guys right. in that 8-10 to 10 win range. Now Trout is the only one. There's a, now it's, like, the second or third best players. As you mentioned, like, five or six-win players, or maybe seven-win players if you love Clayton Kershaw. Uh, it feels like, yeah, Trout is kind of playing it historically uh, – Levels that are, you know, not unprecedented, but no one else is. He's the only one of his generation who's doing this. So here's a, well, here's a question. Um, right, yeah. So with, with, back with Bonds, there was also uh, Sosa, Giambi. I mean, not to say that all that all of them were, were blameless. Rodriguez, you mentioned. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero had a couple seasons. Pools uh, later in in Bonds' career. Pools, Beltria season. Anyway. Um, uh, no, but this we uh, perhaps one new way to look at this, and I think Sullivan is uh, Jeff Sullivan has looked at it. Jeff Sullivan has sort of monitored this um, off and on, which is the uh, Mike Trout and the high fastball 
Yeah. Do we have a, do, do you, do you remember the last time you looked at that or you read someone else who had looked at it? What's the, well, I think I read Jeff's thing like a month ago. Oh yeah. And do you, do you remember what the status update was at that point? I mean, he it looks did, like he's doing okay is the point. Yeah. P- pitchers are still, I mean, they're going after it. Like this was the scouting report that went around baseball and said, Hey, try this. And he has figured out how to fix that hole too. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically there's no way to get Mike Trout out. Right, and the other thing is that he looks like he's actually, uh, I mean, who knows if it'll last all season, but he's still on a, bu- a bunch more bases yeah. in April than he, than he than he has in a while. He looks like he's turning back into the more complete player rather than, Mike, last year he kind of looked like Giancarlo Stanton a little bit, where it was a lot of strikeouts and mostly just power, uh, and it was kind of more of a one-dimensional player than he'd been in the past. Still really good, but mm-hmm. not as varied a skill set. This year he looks like, nope, I'm going to do everything again. Uh, and you just can't, you can't stop me. Which maybe the most remarkable thing is that Trout is this good and this much better than anyone else has. No one has an asset anything close to Mike Trout on their team. And the Angels, still not very good. I mean, how crappy is the rest of this roster that you have a generational player like Mike Trout and they're in the worst division in baseball and they're still maybe the fourth best team in that division. How is that, ha- so how is it happening? Everyone else in that team stinks. <laughs> you, you know what camera he's so delicate that's the I thing know, about I really you. I beat around the bush no I mean, Eric Ibar's a solid role player and um, you know Cole Calhoun looks like he's okay and Garrett Richards is very good and third uh, highest war among batters in the team belongs to Johnny Giovatella that's not good that's really quite bad or maybe Johnny Giovatella is is good no no he's not <laughs> yeah I mean I think you know we talk about like the Brewers and, and some of these other the White Sox who really kind of failed their rosters by going too heavy stars and scrubs and having really bad scrubs. But the Angels are kind of in that mix, too, where, like, they have the star of stars, and their scrubs are still too crappy to put a competitive team together. Right. Do you, th- do you think what, – what what's uh, Trout's contract at the moment? Did he, has a, uh, did he have an opt-out anywhere? No. He got the six-year, $150 million extension, no opt-out. Uh, so he's in Anaheim for another five years. And, uh, you know, I think at some point they might be good. Uh, I'm not ruling out that the Angels could make some moves, and maybe Artie Moreno will uh, take some of the, the like, $5 million they saved from dumping Josh Hamilton on the Rangers and throw that at some pitching, and maybe they'll trade for Cole Hamels, and maybe they'll trade for Scott Casimir, and maybe they'll find some talent in the second half. Uh, it's possible the Angels could be good. I mean, they were good last year, and all they had was Trout. Uh, but they're not great. And it, when you have a player this good and you're not great, that really doesn't say a lot. Is there any situation where a team, they 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 feel as though they, they're they underpaying a player and they're just like, take, like, have some more, have a couple more million. We feel, we feel rotten about it. Well, I think, you know, you, you don't see teams just like arbitrarily giving players more money, but I think you could maybe look at like the Troy Tulowitzki or Ryan Braun extensions from a few years ago where both of those guys were like four years away from their contract sending mm-hmm. and their teams gave them, uh, hundred plus million dollar extensions that didn't begin until they were in their thirties. Like both of those deals didn't look bad at the time because, uh, you know, these are really good players. They were young, but I think like the Braun extension is an interesting, uh, example. It was like obviously since he signed the extension, he got, suspended for using steroids and has diminished as a ball player, and I don't think they would sign him to that extension anymore. So that's maybe one example of a, a team that was like, wow, we really screwed you on this contract, have some money, and wishes maybe they wouldn't have done that. Yeah. What's Braun doing right now? Oh, nothing too much. Although... He started very slowly. He's starting to for power more lately, but uh, still looks like you know more of a good player than a great player, and his uh, $20 million a year extension, which isn't crazy money in today's day and age, uh, has not yet kicked it. Right. Well, good job, Brian Braun. 
Yeah. Well, Ryan, Ryan Braun. Me, mediocre job, Ryan Braun. Well, good job. I mean, good job uh, securing money. Yeah. Well, that he did did pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are right, you done? I think Dave Cameron. All right. Okay. Uh, what's uh? Wait, I should say you you have uh, fulfilled your fulfilled obligations. Fulfilled my obligations. Yeah, that's yes. right. Good. Yeah. I feel fulfilled. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so thank you. That is uh, uh that has been Dave Cameron, managing editor of uh, Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.